Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Courtside Convo. This is our second episode of 2023, and it's going to be a good one. The trade deadline has officially ended. It ended at 3 p.m. this afternoon. We are recording this Thursday night. I'm your host, AJ Evans, joined alongside the studio tonight uh, by Josh Gutbrod, Nick Lundberg, Jack Moreland, and Tim Marshall. It's a packed house tonight. We've got a lot to get into, but before we start, with the trade deadline news, I want to cover something else that happened in the NBA earlier this week. Uh, LeBron surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, as the all t- NBA's all-time leading scorer. He scored over 38,000 points. He's well on his way to 40,000, which is insane. But uh, I just want to kind of go around and talk with you guys a little bit just about LeBron's career and his longevity um, and what exactly this – feat and accomplishment means for his career so Josh I'll start with you yeah I mean it's it's pretty wild um he was already first in playoff points which was was kind of a big topic of conversation and now he's first in points overall and it's it was pretty interesting because there was there was a time like or kind of around the bubble uh the the year before the championship where he was hurt and they weren't playing very well in LA and that that first year really went like very poorly and people kind of like like not that not that I thought this or a lot of people didn't, but there was a lot of people too that thought that he was like starting to slow down, and that was kind of the beginning of the end. And he was just going to L.A. to make movies and chill and getting you know getting the warm weather and you know and then they won a championship, and then people had problems about that, you know because it was a bubble or whatever and you know and then he just kept doing it and then you know he had this season where he led the NBA. He was the oldest player ever to lead the NBA in assists. Now he did this, and it's just it. It shouldn't surprise anyone at this point because this is just what he does. And if you look at even the other stats like rebounds, he's the active leading rebounder, you know, de- leading defensive rebounder among active players, leading assist guy among active players, you know, leading uh, total rebounder among active players. I mean, it's just he's the best player in the league still, in my opinion, the best player ever. But, you know, he's still getting hardware for that argument. So. Yeah, I'm going to agree with him on that last point. This kind of, to me, what he did cements him as kind of the greatest player of all time. And there's different, I mean, you obviously can go back and forth with Jordan and the accolades and everything, but as just looking at him as from a basketball player perspective, no one else in the history of the league can do what LeBron can do. Like, you can go back and forth with the Jordan rings, or, I mean, you could with the Kareem points, but now that's kind of a lost cause. Um, and I mean... Just looking at everything he's done from, you know, scoring to the 3-1 comeback to just the all-around game he has. Um, and, I mean, he's still going. Like, he's still got at least, I would say, like another two years of consistent, maybe like 20 points per game scoring. Um, so the longevity is just insane for a player of that usually, like, he's grown throughout his career to, from relying on his athleticism more. So now he's just all skill at this point, even though he still has some athleticism left in the tank, um, which is also crazy considering how long he's been around. But I really think that kind of just, you know, kind of laid the argument to rest on individually greatest basketball players of all time. I think that kind of just put him put him at the top. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, you know, his career is up there just overall with, like, greatest sports careers, not even in just basketball. And I can't, it's hard to say outright. You got guys like Messi and... Uh, Gretzky and all that but I mean like you know it's just an incredible career this length of it he's just it feels like he's still getting better which is the craziest part he's just not slowing down at all um and I'm, I'm just glad to see people appreciating him now you know it's like 
we're getting to see, even if you still think Jordan is the GOAT somehow, we're getting to see, no question, the second best player of all time play right in front of us. And people weren't appreciating that for a while. So I'm glad people are kind of taking notice and, um, you know, giving the king his props. Yeah, it's definitely turned in the last couple of years from being like, oh, he's this choker, this bad guy in Miami, and then he won in Cleveland, and then in LA, he's been doing this at age 38 now, and it's it's very impressive. I mean, he's been he's been in the league longer than I've been alive. <laughs> That's wild. And he's been putting up at least 20 points a game since then, and he's been in it, this is going to be his 19th All Star game. Like it's just insane stuff. It's crazy to. to like he's been at the like that's one of the only things I know with watching basketball. It's LeBron James being at the top of it. Absolutely. I think what's most remarkable to me is just that LeBron has always been a pass first guy. Like he's always been incredibly unselfish. Um he's been ridiculed, I feel like, for most of his career for making the right play at the end of the game rather than demanding to take the last shot like Jordan or Kobe did all the time regardless of who was on him which those guys are great in their own right you know what I mean and there's you know natural born scorers but LeBron has always just been a team first player and I think that's what makes this even more impressive to me he's a career average I think a 27 point per game score which is insane to think about once again when you think about a guy who's passed first but yes yeah, remarkable I think it's going to be even more insane to me, I think, when he reaches, when he gets past 40,000. But I think once he gets to that number, I don't know if anyone's ever touching that, at least for a really, really long time. I mean, I don't think we thought anybody would reach 38,000. That Kareem record looked like it was going to stand forever. It was To me, it was up there with the Stockton assist record, you know, which everyone feels will never be touched. So it's just insane to see these things, and it's, it's great to see. But, yeah, I think it's it's awesome that people are appreciating LeBron a little bit more especially as his, as his career begins to slowly but surely wind down yeah and if we want to talk about like the game against the Thunder where he actually broke the record like comparing it to uh, like Kobe's last game where he really went out and like yep. he was trying to find a shot he was really I think he shot like 50 attempts or something crazy <laughs> yes, like that yeah. like LeBron did it he had 36 and three quarters on like 18 shots like it was very efficient he still like he, he was passing the ball surprising I thought he was going to go out there and try to like like I thought he was going to have a Kobe game. I thought he was going to take like 50 shots, but no, he did it on 20. It was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, and to me that epitomizes his career. You know, he's never taken a ton of shots. He's always <clears throat> he's always worked in the best interest of the team, and he somehow still ends up with 30 a night. Yeah. So, but now we'll move into the trades. Uh, the first big blockbuster that I would say shook up the NBA was Kyrie Irving being dealt to the Dallas Mavericks, having a couple of days ago. Um, in the trade, the Dallas Mavericks received Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris, and the Brooklyn Nets received Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2027 second-round pick, an unprotected 2029 first-round pick, and a 2029 second-round pick. So I just want to go around the table and ask you guys first, who won this deal? Yeah, I mean, I don't think... It's it's tough with ones like this because obviously Dallas won right now because they got by far the best player in the right. deal and yeah it's it's hard to judge because like the biggest asset in this deal for Brooklyn might come in twenty twenty nine and so I have to say Dallas won the deal because I don't have to think about Brooklyn's side of the deal until potentially twenty twenty nine but uh, I like Dinwiddie uh, I I think Dinwiddie's a nice piece I like Finney Smith it's still not just as good as having a guy like Kyrie next to Luka Doncic so I'm just gonna go with. Dallas won the trade because it seems a lot 
easier than trying to make up a way that the Nets won the trade when they gave up the best player in the deal. For sure. I think one thing that I just want to mention before we keep going, I think it's important to remember, too, though, that you know Kyrie, <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets get a fresh start. Which yeah, is, you know, for which sure. Is like mm-hmm. I think I think that's what makes this deal a little more intriguing and interesting to talk about. Just because oftentimes when you trade your best player, you trade your best player. But in this case, well, Kyrie wasn't arguably the best player. You could make a case for him being the best player on that team previously, but um, there was obviously a culture issue. And there was a lot that went on, and so the Nets get a clean slate, yeah. fresh start. And they still have Ben Simmons. Well, yeah, which, I, in which I think the real winner is Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons now has no attention on him whatsoever. And for a guy that seems to need to sort some stuff out and kind of get some confidence back, you know, probably being in that Kyrie environment wasn't really good for him. I mean, he's getting asked about non-basketball things that are, you know, off-court, you know, drama that's not his drama all the time. And it's, it's you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Fresh start for Ben Simmons. The media presence is going to be obviously it's still New York City, but I mean it's going to be a lot, a lot less hectic, you know, without Kyrie and, and KD there. I mean those guys bring a lot of attention. They so I, I think a guy like Ben Simmons is there. Is, it, maybe the Nets don't win, but Ben Simmons might win because you might see Ben Simmons be able to really take on a larger role, but also have more time to just kind of be himself. And this could be his team in a couple of years. And um, it's kind I, of. I hope it's Bridges. But. It's Cam Thomas's team, but it's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny though that because Brooklyn is usually on the opposite side of this kind of thing in the past <laughs> with the Celtics trade, and then you got the KD and Kyrie stuff and everything in between that. There was a couple other things that went on, but I mean, Kyrie. Ever since the three-one comeback, Kyrie has. It seems like he's just a cancer. It's everywhere he goes, there's always some sort of issue with him. Um, maybe it might be different in Dallas. Um, I mean, him and Luca, both ball-dominant players, um, it's going to be questionable to see them kind of on the court at the same time. I mean, I'm sure they'll they figure out some sort of way to work out the, um, you know, possession, where whoever gets what possession. But, um, I mean, they lost a lot of defense and Dorian Finney-Smith on the wing. Um, Markeith Morris is aging, um, just a, another role player. But, I mean, I don't know, like... Just you need defense in the playoffs, like that bottom line, and that starting lineup they have right now doesn't seem. I mean, Christian Wood as your back end is okay, but like other than that, you don't have really have anybody who can go out and stop any. And there's stars everywhere in the NBA, so in the, in the playoffs it's going to be tough. And the Nets, I mean, they're kind of taking it seems like a Utah Jazz kind of route at this point. I mean, they still have Ben Simmons, like you guys said, but dumping Kate, your best players and Katie and Kyrie like they did with Mitchell and uh, Gobert and kind of building for the future. Um, I like the future in Brooklyn if they can kind of, it's going to take a while um, like like these things do, but if they can kind of piece together um, some sort of, you know, like good young core, um, which they have the opportunity to with all these draft picks, as we'll probably get into the Katie trade later, but um, I do like the future there. And I just, this trade to me, you say is a blockbuster, but I don't really see the Mavs making it out of the first round without that kind of defense. They they just don't have any. And, I mean, Brooklyn, it's going to take a while to see. So this trade, to me, was eh. It was all right. Yeah. I uh, I really like how it looks for Brooklyn. Um, you know, I'm excited to see Kyrie at Dallas. I think he clearly had no problem playing with James Harden and KD as far as, like, getting his shots, apparently. I don't know, whatever was going on behind the scenes. But 
uh, on the court, they seemed fine. He was still doing his thing. He could play off the ball and stuff. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, they do lose a ton of defense. So that'll be really interesting to see uh, as they try to make a you know push in the playoffs and everything. But I love how this Brooklyn team looks. I mean, we'll uh, we'll talk about it later with the KD trade. But this is this is like a formidable defensive team when you talk about um, Claxton and now you got Finney Smith and um, Mikel Bridges. I mean, that's that's a lot of great defensive pieces. And then you got Cam Thomas, who you know like. It's fun to joke about now, but he could be a legit scorer. Like he's he's really good when he gets his shot going. So it'll be fun to just see him get a lot of looks. And uh, I like this team. I like Dinwiddie coming back to Brooklyn too, rocking with the stash. That's where he found his game, and I'm excited to see what he does coming back. Yeah, I would have said he the Nets definitely won this trade on Sunday, but now looking at it, what did what did Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith do to you as a rebuilding team? I feel like they're more just like smaller pieces on a like a better team i i don't i i think Ma- the mavericks taking a chance on Kyrie while he's it'll still be the honeymoon phase and that's all you have to deal with him for the these next four months if you're gonna try to make it to june so i think i i think it's worth a shot give lucas some help and may though they probably will just have to really outscore teams without playing that much defense but it'll be interesting to see yeah i mean you know, when this trade initially happened, I wasn't the most thrilled about it, but I think obviously Luca right now is having arguably his best season. He's gotten better every year. He's averaging a career high thirty three points a game, you know, which is second in the league. And I think I think Mark Cuban and the Mavs were pretty desperate, I think, to make a, a big time move, some sort of seismic move, just because I think they had gotten a little too stagnant. And I think they also know you're not gonna make it very far just relying on Luca every single night um so it was a steep price to pay having to you know trade away Dorian Finney-Smith because he's a big part of what they do if you watch Mavs games I mean he's a big piece of everything that they do on both ends but you know getting a guy like Kyrie back in return I think can obviously be huge and this is I mean this is immediately one of the most talented you know backcourts I think we've seen in recent history so but yeah I mean it there's so much to unpack still. I think I think offensively they're going to be great. Defensively, obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. But I, I'm really intrigued to see how Jason Kidd coaches this team because he's a defensive-minded coach, and that's something that he's preached and um, been adamant about. He's even tried to push Luka to do so. So I think Kyrie coming there could actually be beneficial just because it could take uh, touches and a little bit of pressure off of Luka which could allow both of them to focus a little bit more on the other end. Because I think both of those guys, I don't want to say they can be elite defenders, but I think they can be adequate defenders. I think as most guys in the NBA can be. I think both of them have the physical tools and, you know, the strength and the athleticism athleticism to do so. But I think their offensive abilities just call for so much that they don't have to focus on it as much. But with the two of them playing together, I think they should be able to, at least somewhat. But Well, well and... Nobody else really mentioned it yet, but uh, AJ, you mentioned Mark Cuban a little bit and the situation of maybe Dallas being a little desperate. If there is an organization in the entire NBA that can handle Kyrie Irving, it's Mark Cuban in Dallas. Absolutely. Mark, Mark Cuban is the celebrity owner of the NBA. He's the personality owner of the NBA. He's fiery. He's wild. He says whatever the hell he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. And he's not going to fold to Kyrie in the way that a lot of these other owners have been over all these years you know, player empowerment era, which I think is a good thing. First of all, I'm not trying to get into the whole, like, don't demand a trade, do demand a trade. I think it's great that these guys are taking more control for themselves, but also Mark Cuban is, like, probably the best owner at handling that. 
and handling personalities, in my opinion. Yeah. Because he is one. He is a yep. personality like that. He's not the same as Kyrie, but he's a big personality like Kyrie. Yeah, I mean, and going back to what Tim said, if it doesn't work out, then you let him walk. Yeah, he's gone, and yeah. There's no harm, no foul, and then you still – they still have a a max – a max slot this summer. So you go out and try and find it. And you still star. have Luca, who everybody yeah. wants to play with. Obviously, yep, exactly. So you still have your generational star, you know, but if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But you, uh, you, I think you will have at least a glimpse of Luca playing with another superstar, which I think is Dallas's goal, or that's what there should be the for goal sure. for the front office. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, is it crazy to say the worst-case scenario for Dallas is that they, they – it looks like Luka and Kyrie work. They make it to like the second or third round of the playoffs and then they sign him to a max. Like, do you really want four more years of Kyrie Irving? Who knows what he'll be saying in four yeah. years? I mean, to tell you the truth. In Texas, does that matter though? <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would, his team wouldn't go for it, but I would be really tempted to offer him a lot of money on a short-term deal. Mm-hmm. Just like a, like a James Harden him, kind yeah. of extension. Yeah, like I, offering I think... more money than anybody else does, but like for like a two- or three-year deal. Yeah, it's kind of tough because yeah. I think he wants a lot, like the max for four. But, I like, yeah, you'd have to give him the max for two, and hopefully he, he wants it. Yeah. But I, I, I do think it's a good fit, though, because he's not going to ruffle nearly as many feathers in Texas or that organization. For sure. I'm just excited to see Luca with someone who can do something. Like, mm-hmm. we saw him with Brunson last season, but yeah. it seems like he's never really had that all-star caliber teammate to kind of judge how he can play with someone that's kind of in his echelon. I mean, Brunson had a very good year last year, not taking away anything from him or that season they had, but... It's it's just he's always had the ball in his hands ever since he stepped in the NBA. And it's just it's hard it's sometimes hard to watch them because it's so he's so ball dominant and it's like basketball is really supposed to be a team game. I know the NBA is a little different, but um it's just watching him sometimes just get like a hundred percent of the touches, it's like you gotta be able to play to win, you gotta be able to have like other stars in your team and play cohesively with them. So this kind of stretch Seeing him with actually someone who's on his kind of level is going to be pretty interesting to me. It so. definitely, yeah, it definitely will. Um, final question about Dallas: We will just go around the table. Can the Mavs make a run at the title this season? I feel like some of you guys have answered it, but if you do or don't feel like so, feel free to just elaborate a little bit. I mean, can they? Yes, I mean, of course they can. They have they have two guys that can get you eighty in a night in a playoff series if they want to. Like, they, they they could win the finals, potentially. That doesn't mean that's likely, in my opinion. But, like, with, yeah, with that type of firepower, they can they can win the finals. I don't think there's any question that that's the ceiling when you have a duo like that, especially when you have a guy like Christian Wood there, too. Like, there, there's there's enough talent to make that push. Will they? I don't, I don't think so. I think – I don't know how anybody gets by Phoenix – and I know we haven't talked about them yet, yeah. but like adding adding what they added to that team while keeping the three guys, you know, Aiton and Booker and CP3. I, I don't think anybody's touching them. And, and I just I don't know. I I just don't see it with Dallas because I look at somebody like Memphis and I'm like Memphis can score with Dallas, but they can also defend Dallas. And Dallas can't defend Memphis, in my opinion. You know, I look at Denver and it's like Denver's really coming along. You know, what's Denver going to be in the playoffs? So I. I'm gonna say no, but they like like technically yes, they have the potential, they have the talent to do it, but I don't think it's very likely. Looking at these records, the Kings are the three seed right now. That's 
Yes, sir. Wow. It's open. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they <laughs> might because it's, it's open. But yeah. I, I just I, don't see it. After looking at these standings right now, after saying that I don't think they'll make it out of the first round, I mean, if they play Phoenix, they won't. Like like you said, I really don't think they have a shot. Um, I'm I think they lose to the Nuggets. I think they lose to the Grizzlies. Beyond that, though, I mean, like the Clippers, the Pelicans, the the Timberwolves. I mean, the Warriors will probably sneak in there. Like, do they beat the Kings in your opinion? The Mavs. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think so. I I think it's close, honestly. But I mean, the Kings, like at least Luca and most of that team has some sort of playoff experience. The Kings. At least from what I when I'm what I'm thinking right now, I I don't think any of them really have really just Harrison Barnes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, experience is very uh, important in the NBA playoffs, um, as we've seen that time and time again. But I mean, I they could probably I think my projection I don't know how the standings are going to turn out, but I think they make the second round and run into either the Suns or the Grizzlies, maybe the Nuggets, and just fall apart. So we'll see. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I they have a lot of talent. I didn't think that the Mavericks were gonna go deep last year either. So I mean, you know, that team was more. You could argue it was more cohesive. They had a lot of good defensive pieces and stuff. But you know, they tend to surprise people. It's really hard to bet against Luca and Kyrie in the playoffs. They're just so clutch performers. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I'd just be really worried about forward centric teams. Obviously, you got the Suns adding KD. Uh, the Clippers, assuming they get healthy, you know, you got Paul George and Kawhi. Um, you know that's a scary team when you when you don't have Dorian Finney-Smith anymore. Maxi Kleba is going to be on his tank's going to be on E the whole series, man. That's a lot for him. But um, even the Lakers, like I'd be worried about the Lakers if they somehow turn around and end up getting into the playoffs. That's a team I don't want to play in the first round necessarily, especially if I'm Dallas. So I don't know. I'd love to see them make a deep run. That'd be sweet to see you know Luca and Kyrie in a conference finals or something. But I don't know if it's in the cards. We'll see. I think they can make a decent run. the The way they play is perfect for the playoffs. They they're right now they're 29th in pace, but they have the the closers. So if they just, it's a lot of half court offense in the playoffs. And if they have two of the best one on one guys that can go ISO, usually you don't want to play a lot of ISO heavy ball. But like this team could do it, and I feel like they could win while doing it. Absolutely. Well, we got a glimpse at what Kyrie will bring. To this Mavs team last night, uh, nationally televised game. He had 24 points, went 9 of 17 from the field, uh, was plus 11, had five assists, four boards, and 37 minutes of work. So overall, a very nice debut from Kyrie. But like we said, it remains to be seen what the postseason will look like. But they got the W too. They did. That's what matters. Oh yeah, (laughs) with Luca being out. Um, But heading into the next big trade that we had, uh, Minnesota, Utah. And Los Angeles. Um, it was a big three-way deal. The Lakers received D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. And the T-Wolves received Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Picks. And the Jazz received Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a 2027 Lakers first-round <coughs> pick that is top four protected. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think this is the infamous 2027 pick that they were unwilling to relinquish for so long. The 2027 and 2029 pick were those two picks that they did not want to get rid of. But what are your guys' thoughts on this deal and who you guys think wins this deal out of the three teams? I mean, it's I, – I want to say Utah wins because Utah gets out of that Mike Conley contract and gets a bunch of money this summer when, when you know, that Russ contract's up. 
But I, yeah, I don't know. They also, you know, they also get the the first or that Lakers pick out of it. But um, you know, the other guys that Utah gets don't. I mean, Toscano Anderson is fine. Uh, Damian Jones is all right. Like they're and you know they're solid NBA players. I don't think they should be like out of the league. But like I don't think those guys, you know, do anything for Utah. And you know, I don't think those guys are going to be like rotational assets for Utah. But I like that pick, and I like all of the money they're going to be able to spend. And that's a young core that, you know, with a young coach that they're probably going to be able to get some, like, second- or third-tier free agents that are interested because they're going to have a lot of money. And, you know, uh, it's not a huge market, so I don't see them getting, like, you know, those are the A-list guys. But that's a young team that has talent. They have an all-star. They have a good coach, you know. So we'll see. Uh, But the Lakers, I mean – Overall, when you add this in with the other trades the Lakers made and pieces got, I think the Lakers come out right now looking the best. Um, I, I think this – I mean, we're talking about the playoffs. The Lakers, with how they reworked this, I think could easily claw their way up to like a 6-7 spot and probably take somebody out in the first round. Yeah, I I think, honestly, all teams made out pretty well with this kind of this kind of deal. I mean, you've got <clears> – <throat> The Jazz are going to buy out Westbrook. I heard he's looking at uh, Miami or L.A. So, I mean, we know, well, you guys know with Westbrook, he's kind of erratic out there. So it's it's hard to tell what he'll end up doing for, you know, a, a contending team. Um, but just for the play style for the Lakers and the Timberwolves, I really like what they got. You get a point guard in D'Lo um, who I feel like can run their offense better than Westbrook could. I mean, I know LeBron's kind of the point guard of that team, but um, I do like D'Lo offensively um, better than Westbrook out there. I just feel like Westbrook was just, he he's just too fast-paced. Um, he's kind of playing like his play style now is fitting for him like five years ago, and now it's kind of to the point where he kind of has to, feels like he has to change his game to, you know, uh, just because he's older and players, you know, as they progress in age, um, that you have to do start to do different things um, just to kind of, you know, be efficient. But I feel like he really hasn't been able to make that switch. Um, but I really like uh, Mike Conley going in the Timberwolves because this opens up a lot of things for Anthony Edwards. And I'm a huge Anthony Edwards fan. And having D'Lo in his backcourt kind of takes away from his touches. And Edwards is, I think, best when he gets all of the touches possible. Um, and I know it's been tough. I mean, they're at the same place after signing Gobert or getting Gobert this offseason that they were last year, 30 and 28th, eighth seed. That's right where they were uh, last year. So, I mean, you would think they would have had a better year so far this year with all the with the addition of Gobert, but it hasn't been like that. I just think this opens up more for Anthony Edwards and just makes the Timberwolves better. Um, and then they get a good backup in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. The Lake, and I really like what the Lakers did besides D'Lo getting Jared Vanderbilt is a good forward um, on the bench. And then ultimately we'll talk about that. Mobamba was a good piece too, even though he's got some potential, hasn't really shown anything in, in uh, Orlando. But for all teams, I think. Um, and then the Jazz going – the Jazz are playing the long game at this point. So that pick is um, pretty good for them going down the road. So I think all teams came out pretty well in this trade. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think it's just a really well-rounded trade. Um, but I just I love it for the Lakers. You know, I'm trying to see LeBron in the playoffs again, the way he's playing and everything. So I'd love this team to turn it around. And I think you know they got the pieces to do it. Uh, D'Lo, you know, he's he's not the most athletic defender, but he's a smart defender, which just helps them. He's 
um, less turnover prone. He can shoot the ball quite a bit better than Russ has been doing, which is great. Um, same with Malik Beasley. You know, they just needed a guy who can get buckets off the bench. Max Christie's getting there. I have faith in Max, but, you know, <laughs> need a little little more talent right up front right now for Malik Beasley, so that's good. Um, and then Jared Vanderbilt just, you know, adds a lot of versatility to that lineup, gives him some more size, uh, and he'll, you know, bang down low for you, get some boards, and guard opposing big so you know it's it's just nice to see I think that's that's a really good move and it was it was a good use of their 2027 pick and they might even get to hold on to it um you know if the worst case scenario ends up in the top four or you know their team falls apart in the next couple of years whatever but um yeah I, I really like this trade for the Lakers I I like it for the Lakers as well last this last off season they went they went in Palenka went in looking for defense because they they were a decent offensive team. They just had no defense whatsoever. And now they kind of went a little too heavy on defense and they didn't have any shooting. So now I feel like they have a good balance with guys like Rui, Vanderbilt, Beasley, Russell, Mo Bamba. They'll be a good like balanced team with LeBron because they don't really have a true point guard now because D'Angelo is more of a shoot first guy. But LeBron can obviously, he can get you eight, nine assists a night. So I, I like it for the Lakers and... I also love it for the Wolves because Mike Conley being there means it's Anthony Edwards' team now. They're no longer building around what Cat wants because Cat, D'Lo and Cat are really good friends, and Cat wanted to be the four, so that's why they got Gobert, which might not have been the right move. And now we're seeing Anthony Edwards is that guy, and he's the future of the Timberwolves franchise. Yeah, I think like you guys all said, this is a pretty good deal for all of the sides involved I really and I immediately felt this way but I really like what it does for the Lakers I just think I think by getting D'Lo you're addressing a handful of issues one you're getting another creator a shot creator a guy who can make plays for others you're also getting some more shooting which they badly needed and I think more importantly just from an individual standpoint this I think this is sort of a prove it year for D'Lo now like the rest of this season you know especially if the Lakers make a playoff run um D'Lo has been in the playoffs twice now I believe um went in Minnesota and in Brooklyn so I think this will be a good test for him playing alongside two other big time stars but I, I just really like what this deal does for the Lakers I think it gives their offense some much-needed like uh, versatility and flexibility. I think it allows for Darvin Ham to do a couple of more things. You know, Westbrook's inability to shoot the ball and his struggles shooting the ball, I think, just made things really difficult. You know, you, you can uh, Darvin Ham talked about a lot of different creative ways to use him, like using him as a screener, putting him in the dunker spot, but you can only do so many things now, especially with the game being so predicated on spacing um, with a guy who's a non-shooter um but yeah I really like what this deal does for LA and for the Wolves I like it too but things have gotten disturbingly stagnant in Minnesota and it's kind of perplexing to see I mean like D'Lo, Cat, Edwards like you know those all those guys are just so good it's just it troubles me to see all the struggles that they've been having and you know see them not really improving year after year it just seems like it's sort of the same thing where they're stuck in a place where they're not necessarily bad but they're not good either and arguably don't get me wrong the western conference is incredibly tough but i mean they're only a couple of games above 500 i think two mm-hmm. games i think so i really hope this deal you know pr- makes some dividends for them and 
you know, they can at least begin to take a step towards really building around Edwards, like you said, Tim. Yeah, and it's also, for the Timberwolves, they are in the eight seed right now, nine and a half out of first, but they're also only three out of third. Like yeah, they, they could easily make a run and they're, they're getting hot. I've, I've watched a couple of their games. Like they had a really good one against the Warriors maybe a week or two ago where they uh, beat them in overtime. I, I, I believe in this Timberwolves team and I think the D'Lo move is a really good one, like I said, to really make Anthony Edwards the focal point of that offense. Absolutely. And I like I like the deal for the Jazz, too. I don't think Russell Westbrook will stay there, but, Josh, you and I talked a little bit. I, I think the, with the roster that the Jazz have right now, I don't think they anticipated the team to be this good. I think they were preparing to rebuild, and the guys just kind of accelerated a little faster than they expected them to. And so as a result, now they sort of have to find a way to deal with that. But, I mean, hey, you know, rebuild or not, you're still in a very good position. That's kind of what Danny Ainge has done. If you look back to the Celtics rebuild, yes. they were they traded almost everybody on that roster in the beginning of that rebuild, and then they found a diamond in the rough like Isaiah Thomas, and then they were an eight seed, and then they were a two seed, a three seed, a one seed. Like Danny Ainge, like he'll build like sneaky good teams, even though it won't look like it. Like he, like Laurie Markkinen is probably the was probably the pickup of the offseason. He he's an all star. Nobody thought he was going to do that. Absolutely. And Danny Ainge has a ridiculous eye for talent, both in the free agency market and with young prospects, which I think is incredible because most GMs can do one or the other, but they can't do both. So, yeah, he's big time. We'll keep Stay on the lookout for the Jazz. But uh, the next trade we'll get into is Josh Hart being dealt to the New York Knicks. Uh, this deal is between the Portland Trailblazers and the Knicks. Cam Reddish, Ryan, Archie Diakono is going – Cam Reddish and Ryan Archidiakono are going to Portland along with Savi and Josh Hart is going to New York. Savi Luke, sorry. But yeah, I know we have a big time Portland fan here. Josh, what do you think about this deal? Yeah, I mean, I kind of keep up with Portland whenever the Cavs have those years where the Cavs are doing Cleveland sports things. And uh, I don't get what Portland's doing with a lot of these moves. Uh, they they're obviously they're not going to move Damian Lillard, and so they're committed to winning as much now as possible. Um, obviously, they're not committed to winning as much now as you know most teams because they're not doing a very good job at winning. But uh, they don't have a ton of talent on the wing. Um, they have Jeremy Grant. That's pretty much about it. They don't really have any difference makers on the interior. Nurkic is fine. Uh, Eubanks is. Eubanks, uh, you know, he, he's an NBA player. Um, but, I mean, they're not going to trade Lillard for the assets, so I guess this is what they're working with. Um, but it's an interesting division uh, because you have Anthony Edwards coming up in Minnesota and SGA coming up in Oklahoma City, and Portland's kind of been on top along with Utah when Donovan Mitchell was there. And now that Mitchell's gone and Utah's rebuilding and Portland is struggling – for the most part, that division's pretty wide open. I mean, Minnesota's obviously, you know, making the push right now, but OKC's got talent, and, you know, there's also um, – who's the, th- the fifth team in that division? Who am I Jazz. missing? The, the Jazz. Division? No, not the Jazz. It's Portland. It's the Jazz. No, I said the Jazz, though. Oh. Uh, Nuggets? Nuggets. That's yeah. the fifth oh. team, the Nuggets. This and is the Northwest the, Division, right? Yeah. That's and such then, a and, and the Nuggets are geogra- the Nuggets are strong, too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's – that's a division where you've got a lot of talent and nobody's really 
dominated. You know, they've kind of alternated winning at the top. So, but I mean, I, it, most of these trades up until the KD trade are kind of. I mean, they're they're interesting from like the Sadiq Bay one is interesting because of Sadiq Bay and, and some of the other things. But a lot of these are like 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 the Crowder trade, the Reggie Jackson trade. Like they're they're interesting, but I mean. I don't. I don't see a lot of these being big. I think the big difference maker is the Lakers trade, and then the Kyrie and KD. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it feels like Portland, if they keep Dame for the foreseeable future, will f- with him at least will forever be stuck in seventh seed mediocrity. Because, I mean, it, it kind of goes both ways with me. Dame's reluct, or as as we all know, the the run from the grind meme. Dame has never has always been a fan of the grind, but at some point, you can't blame him for leaving this situation. They, the most help he's received over the what 10, 12 years he's been in the league is CJ McCollum, who at times showed flashes of being a very good scorer, but kind of inconsistent. Um, and I mean Jeremy Grant, who as us Pistons fans have seen, is a decent player. Could I, I like him as like a third option. Um, second op- second scoring option can get by, but you're not going to win games with Jeremy Grant as your second scoring option. So I, I just think that the reluctancy to help each other between Portland bringing in another star for Dame or Dame just leaving to better to go on a better situation um, will keep them where they're at for the foreseeable future. And the Knicks getting Josh Hart are also um, they've got some pieces, and Josh Hart's a solid. Uh, you know, backup slash uh, fringe starter. So I mean, New York got a good, a pretty good player in Josh Hart. Um, but I just for Portland, I I just don't really see they need another star in order to win some something. So yeah, I hope that these you know uh, between Shade and Sharp and Cam Reddish. I, I mean, high school basketball fans are probably ecstatic that those guys are on the same team. Um, but you know, it's it'll be fun to see. I think. There's more, there's, you know, they upgraded in the talent potential. Uh, they might, you know, turn it into something. But, yeah, it's just kind of sad to see Dame just not get the help that he needs. Um, I don't know. It's just frustrating. But, you know, they also got Matisse Thibel in another another deal. I don't know if we'll talk about that real briefly. But, you know, it helps defensively. Anthony Simons really struggles on that end. So maybe he can get some more, a new lineup with him, and maybe that helps him perform even better, stay on the floor longer. I don't know. But, you know, it's just kind of... Portland being stuck where they're at. Uh, but I do love the bromance uh, reuniting of Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson in New York. That's fun. Get to hang out with their buddy Mikhail just across the bridge in Brooklyn. So, you know, that's fun to see. But, yeah, I don't I, I don't have any strong opinions about this trade. Yeah, Josh Hart was kind of just not little, a little more than a salary filler for the CJ trade. He he shows some flashes, and he's just, he's just kind of like a mid-backup point guard, kind of maybe a starter. I don't know. But... You move him for to the Knicks for uh, Cam Reddish, and I'm high on Cam Reddish. I still think he can be like a maybe even like a one day a 12 to 15 point scorer, just coming off the bench or even starting at a three. He has size. I mean, he's not a great defender, but he has size. And if he's playing in like a inspired environment, maybe he can be be a good defender. I think he needed to get out of New York just because of Tibbs, and I think Josh Hart is a great player for Tibbs. I feel like he'll just defend and play a lot of minutes for him. So This trade to me was pretty interesting just because I think there are a couple of things to unpack, you know, in New York. 
One thing that's always kind of been confusing to me is Tom Thibodeau. And I, I feel like for the last couple of years in Tom Thibodeau's rotations, there's always been somebody really talented who's at the end of the bench. And I don't fully understand it. Like uh, a year ago, that was Kimba. And I know Kimba's on his way out, but he could still play last year. I mean, he was fine. He had a When he did play, like on Christmas Day, he had a triple-double. Um, I'll never forget that. But Cam Reddish... With me, Cam, the Cam Reddish dynamic in New York was really perplexing just because Cam is a really talented young player. And I don't know if – I know the Knicks are a decent team, but I don't know if they're good enough, and I don't know if Thibodeau's methods are good enough for him to sit a player that talented at the end of the bench because he doesn't fit with whatever it is they're trying to do. Because I think whatever it is they're trying to do is not necessarily good enough anyways right now because they're not, they're not at that level yet where they're competing – I think every Th- single night. Thibodeau loves defensive first players, and I feel like he does. Cam Reddish might not have been the guy Thibodeau is looking for, and a guy like we we kind of see him as a, like a three and D wing, but more so three, less of the defense. So yeah, I mean, and he he definitely is, but I think you know with the way the league is now, I feel like that's that's a mind that's sort of a a mindset that you could get away with it like five, ten years ago. But now you have all these really talented, young offensive players. Everybody's not going to be great defensively immediately, and I don't think sitting them is the, it should be the end-all, be-all. But nonetheless, he's headed to Portland, where I, I really do think he could blossom under the you know right opportunity or whatever. I think you know Billups, Chauncey Billups, preaches defense as well, so he'll have to still get it together on that end. But we'll move on now to... One more trade before we get into a big one that affected us Pistons fans today. Uh, Jakob Pertl is traded back to Toronto, the team that drafted him and developed him. Um, the Spurs will receive a 2024 first-round pick, 2023 second-round pick, and a 2025 second-round pick in this deal. Outside of this trade, guys, I just kind of want to talk to you all about What's going on in Toronto right now? Because I think everybody expected OG Ananobi to be moved, and he wasn't. Um, and I th- I believe this is the only deal that they made. So outside of this deal, we can talk about it for a minute. What do you guys foresee happening in Toronto within, I don't know, the next six months to a year? I mean, I, I like the Pirtle acquisition because they don't really have a ton of interior like actual like true interior size they have a lot of guys that can play big but they don't have a lot of guys that actually are big which you still need that I mean and and so that's important but um with Toronto in general it's interesting because I mean we've talked about it before where they they fell in love with what was it they had eight guys or nine guys or whatever it was that was between six seven and six nine last year Mm -hmm. where it was just like that was your their their entire roster they didn't have enough guards they ended up losing a lot of games because they had a lot of turnovers they had guys handling the ball that shouldn't have been handling the ball Uh, you know they they didn't have a lot of true bigs so they 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 also lost a lot of games because they would get killed on the rebounds and certain on the boards and certain matchups because they have a lot of guys that can be good rebounders on certain nights like OG and Siakam and those guys but like. If you look at the averages, those guys are around like five, six, seven boards a game. That's not going to carry you defensively like somebody like, you know, a Gobert or or a Towns that's going to get you 11, 12. Or Clint Capella even that's, you know, a lesser talent than those two guys. But, like, still a very talented player and it's going to get you, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 boards a night, you know, where – 
So I, I think that's useful. But I mean, I don't know who they move because it's like Siakam probably gets you the best return and then OG probably gets you the next best return. But then you might be most invested in Barnes because you spent the high pick on him and, and he's showed kind of more polished offensively. And he's the youngest. Yeah, and he's the youngest. You're also already locked in on Gary Trent Jr., which you might you might move him, but he's pretty young too and he's affordable compared to like some of these other guys. So I, I don't know because, I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to tell because like the the problem is they they need at least two of those guys. Like you need two of OG Siakam and Barnes. Two forwards. Yeah, yeah, that's what OG, I mean. OG Siakam. Like, Barnes, you need right. you need to keep two of those guys. Right. So whoever you move, you have to get enough to solve most of the other problems, which I think is what's catch was hanging them up. You have to solve the backcourt problems, the center problems, X Y Z. You know, with whatever package you get for OG Siakam, whatever, or or through the picks that you get in that package. However you get the assets, you have to cuz they're not they don't have a ton of other assets. Cuz I mean if you start moving guys like Van Fleet, then you're then you're opening more holes to fill. You know, right. you already have backcourt problems, why would you move Van Fleet? That's why I think they didn't move Van Fleet cuz they're already they don't have a ton of depth there. But on the wing, you they have those three guys. I think it'll end up being Siakam just because he's kind of butted heads with Nurse before. Like a little bit, you know, over the, over the last couple of years. Last yeah. last year, for sure. Really? He got he got benched. I uh, remember that. There was yeah. yeah oh there yeah, was, I remember there that. was some stuff. Right. Not that it didn't get smoothed over, but he's he's kind of had some rifts with yeah. Nurse before. So I think well, it, yeah. Didn't OG ask out though? Like recently? I think he did. Okay. And I think too, Siakam Siakam's made it very clear. Like I remember he said this in an interview with the Athletic before the season started. I want to be a top five guy. I know I'm not there yet, but. I'm going to continue to work hard, and I, w- I want to be that kind of guy. So I think I think with that comes, I don't want to say a bit of an ego, but, you know, sort of just a, hey, I need to have my minutes. I need to be in a position to be that kind of guy, even if I'm not there yet, which is odd. But, no, you're absolutely right. I think they're in a fascinating position right now because I think at some point they're going to have to choose whether they want to compete now and maximize whatever window it is that they have. I don't want to say they have a championship window, but they'll have to do that now or they'll have to tear it all down down and rebuild. The good thing is, though, all of these guys are incredibly talented, so you could get a slew of, of first-round picks for the next five to ten years if you decide to go that route. But, Nick, how about you? What do you think? I mean, just looking at this, I did not think Jakob Pertl was worth a 2024 first-round pick from the Rappers. Mm-hmm. So it, that I, I feel like that is a win in itself. Um, but I 100% agree with you, AJ, about the either tearing it down thing or maximizing the window to win now. Because I know, um, I mean, Siakam's basically in his prime, and Nobi's getting there. Barnes is still obviously very young. Uh, Van Fleet's in his prime. And those are, your, those are their guys. So, I mean, you either have to go out in order to – and they're in the middle of the pack right now. Um, so in order to go out and, you know, maxim- like you said, maximize on that, they're going to have to sign someone. Um, I'm not in particularly sure who's going to be available in this free agency but um, or who would be the best fit for them. But they just have to go spend some money to get someone um, maybe at the wing position or the guard position, like you said, because they lack depth um, in order to kind of, you know, make something out of what they have with them right now or – you just say, screw it and blow it up 
um, keep Scotty Barnes because obviously that's the youngest. And, and I mean, you can get probably get a lot for Siakam, Van Fleet, and Anobi too, or keep Anobi because he's at relatively young as well. But I feel like the better option as of now is just to try and see if they can win and try to go get somebody they like in free agency um, and make a big splash. If I mean, Toronto's not the biggest market, but they're not, you know, purgatory for someone. So um, there's they have options for sure. Um, and I feel like either way they go, if they do it correctly, I think they could definitely get something, you know, pretty worthy out of their situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, this team... They've been just perennial playoff performers. Um, I think it's fine to get another piece and just run it back with the same squad and see what happens, uh, especially with the East being as wide open as it kind of feels now. Obviously, the Bucks look pretty good, um, and the Nets collapsing, that helps. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't hate it. I was I was surprised to see them go this route. I definitely thought that they were going to blow it up, but I feel like the I started hearing rumors that they might be willing to sell everybody like pretty late towards the deadline and stuff, so... I think it's good that they didn't rush anything and just trade just for the sake of trading somebody. Um, so, you know, bringing Bertle back, he's been playing, I think he's been playing fine in San Antonio, just hasn't been getting a lot of attention. Um, so now he gets to fit back into a system um, with some guys that he knows already. So, you know, I'm excited to see what happens for him. Maybe they make a deep run, match up well with some good teams. So, I don't know. I don't hate it, but, I, you know, they might try to make some moves in the summer too and just see what they can do. Yeah, they're still a pe- like a pesky kind of team. They have a good coach. I mean, you could maybe they'll be the next year or last year's Celtics, where like they were the one piece out of these kind of playing teams that really did something. And that's kind of what the Celtics did last year. They went out, got Derek White, and then they shot up. I feel like this Toronto team, they have experience. I feel like they could rise up, maybe even because they were like a late bloomer last year, too. So I think they could do the same this year. Yeah, certainly a fascinating situation in Toronto right now. So I think regardless of whatever happens, moves will be made in Toronto. So that'll be cool to see what goes on up north. But we'll now move into a trade that sent shockwaves through the Michigan State campus and through the state of Michigan. (laughs) Uh, Sadiq Bey has been traded to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, This was a three-way deal. Initially, I don't know what you guys saw, but it looked like Sadiq was going to the Warriors at first. Um, the Warriors have been rumored to have—they were rumored to have been interested in Sadiq for quite some time now. Um, but nevertheless, he's headed to Atlanta. The Pistons receive James Wiseman, the center from Golden State, and the Warriors receive five second-round picks and Kevin Knox. But they rerouted those five picks to Portland in exchange for Gary Payton the second. Um, Payton was a part of that championship team last year in Golden State, signed with the Blazers this summer in what I believe was a three-year deal, and now he's headed right back uh, to San Francisco. So I want to start with Nick here because him and I had a good conversation about Sadiq and the Pistons and what this trade means for Detroit. But, yeah, Nick, feel free to elaborate on everything. Okay. So first off, I want to state that I'm a fan of this trade and everything that Troy Weaver does. I will say that because he's usually right. What first I want to talk about is the return Sadiq got from Atlanta. His his market value at this point, he's 23 years old. He showed glimpses of being, you know, a top three option on a good team in the past two years with Detroit. I won't take anything away from him. He had a 50-point game. 
He was pretty solid. 51. Sorry. <laughs> Against the Magic, but... Um, <laughs> he was worth five second-round picks. And I guess Kevin Knox, too. He was thrown in there, thankfully, as a Pistons fan. But um, I just want to start by saying I understand why people are upset with this trade. Um, and I read... I Shout out James Edwards, one of my favorite Pistons writers. Um, he mentioned in his article today that the Pistons staff had gotten, um, not upset, but a little bit annoyed with Sadiq's. They wanted him to play more off the ball, and it's, it seems like he did a better job of that last year instead of this year where he kind of was trying to do too much on the ball. Um, and that led to kind of a little bit of them butting heads Um Offensively, and when you've got guys like Cade and Ivy running the team at this point, obviously Cade's injured, but those are two ball dominant players, and there's not enough room um, for Sadiq to be kind of creating his own shots. And I feel like, even though he's still very young and there's a lot of time for him to grow, um, that he'll get better at creating his own shot. But this year, he just didn't make those strides that I feel like a lot of fans wanted him to. We know he's a very good catch and shoot player. Um, and I mean, his defense, like they, James talked about that too in his article, they were upset a little bit with his defensive deficiencies. Um, and I mean, he's not the worst defender in the league, but he's not a guy who can lock up your second or third best option. Like he'll play, you know, solid defense, but nothing crazy. Um, for the return though, I feel like people are very like just not valuing this trade correctly because James Beisman I know he's been very he's very injury prone and I'm I'm aware of that but he was the number 2 overall pick for a reason. Um and I mean he just dropped 30 points a month ago. So I mean for people and it's like people wanted Kuminga and Moody or Wiseman and Moody like I I feel like people are overvaluing where Sadiq's at right now compared to like where, Wiseman is only 21 and he, is. he has not played much of any basketball. As, as of now. So, I mean, if you can keep him healthy and keep him on the floor in Detroit, besides for defense and, like, just kind of defensive energy, I guess, their most our biggest need was size. Like, you have Stewart, who's 6'9", is a big. Bagley, 6'11", but doesn't really play big. He kind of plays in the post um, and not really is good in the paint defensively. I mean, Duran's, uh, Duran's a stud. He's only 19. He'll be there for a while. I really like Duran, but... The biggest thing in Nerland's Noel is not not really anything. But Wiseman is a guy you have size now with him, especially if he can stay healthy. And there's a lot of potential for a lot of areas of his game. Um so I feel like especially if the Pistons land a top three pick in the draft this year, and you can go out and replace Sadiq Bay with a player like um Brandon Miller of Alabama, if you don't get that number one spot, obviously Wemby is the dream for every team. And the Pistons, I, I'm really banking on that. But I know it's their number one pick is never a given in any situation. But um, hopefully we can kind of sneak into that top three. But as of now, if we can do that and get a player like Brandon Miller to kind of replace Sadiq, um, who I feel like Brandon Miller could be a lot better than Sadiq going forward, um, and then sign maybe a veteran player and Wiseman stays healthy, he develops. This is all if it goes 100% to plan. So, and you know what, that never, you know, never, not everything works out or not a lot of things work out according to plan. So there might be a couple bumps, but overall, I just, I feel like the reactions 
were a little bit too negative towards this trade. I'm personally am a fan. I just think that people were overvaluing where Sadiq is at and undervaluing where Wiseman was at. And I think that um, going forward, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I just don't see Sadiq as kind of that. He, I don't think he becomes like that guy that a lot of people think he can become. And I feel like why they're already giving up on Wiseman when it's kind of unfair to do that so early. So that's kind of just my opening. I'm sorry, that was a little bit long, but no, that's no, my I, statement. Right. How about you, Mr. Moreland? Yeah, no, I mean that was a good analysis. It you was, know, it I was, was really I was good. pretty distraught when I saw that notification. <laughs> so I, I like to hear you talk it out. You know, that's okay. I I can see where you're coming from. Uh, part of me wonders if this trade would have happened if Cade hadn't gone down. Yes. You know, because I, I think don't, yeah. does it? Do you think it does, Nick? I I mean it just it, we're getting into ifs and right. and what's yeah. here but yeah. I mean like does Sadiq that kind of boils down to does Sadiq have the same production sure. with Cade right. as he does without him and then that depends on this trade so I mean it that's hard to say but yeah. it definitely is like something that could have affected it for sure yeah so I mean it, it's disappointing to see because I was really excited about that young core so you know I was looking forward to seeing them all play together we got you know a taste of it a uh, fairly good part of last season but um you know Cade goes down and you know now Sadiq's gone so that's sad to see but I wasn't necessarily opposed to trading Sadiq I had come to terms with, with the fact that he wasn't untouchable uh you know he wasn't up there with Cade you know he had some value and kind of had some question marks in his game and his fit and stuff but I w- I'm still not super excited about James Wiseman. Um, you know, I, I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. I just, I'm really curious to see what Dwayne Casey does with the rotations because I appreciate, uh, you know, Beef Stew's willingness to shoot the three and try to fill that four spot. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot of guys that do a lot of similar things uh, at that position. So, uh, and it hurts to lose some of that wing depth because, you know, when Cade is hoisting the the um, <laughs> both <laughs> finals trophies in either hand. It's not going to be Boyan Bogdanovich standing next to him. So we needed to find that wing depth, uh, and it hurts to see Sadiq go. But um, you know, I don't know. I uh, it's it just kind of is what it is. You know, the Pistons are in their usual. Um, it, we'll see what happens next year, kind of phase. So you know, I'm, I'm all right with it. I trust Troy still, but it's sad to see Sadiq go. And I I just think that. Casey might be on his way out soon. Mm-hmm. I just, the way he's been, I mean, I feel like a part of the problem was Casey and his use of Sadiq in the offense. I mean, we he's known as kind of this developer coach type, and you haven't really seen that with some of these guys from him. So I feel like that's kind of a testament to his future down the road with Detroit. But, um, I mean, there's so many pieces with the Pistons that have so much potential um, depending on health and just, I mean, especially with the pick, this is a huge offseason. Troy Weaver has said that they're going to try to compete next year, keeping Bojan around, which I think is smart. Um, and then I just, as a fan, I am really hoping we get Wemby. I just, oh, yeah. him him and him, I, I'm a fan of Scoot too, but that that's in a whole other conversation with moving Cade to forward or mm-hmm. sharing touches with three very good guards. Um that just is a whole different thing. But just being able to get someone like Wemby or even Brandon Miller, I'm a big fan of him too, um, would just that, – that that starting lineup in a couple of years is like if you keep that core together and they all develop correctly, that's – could be, you know, could be – Cade could be ho- hoisting those two trophies <laughs> like you said. So we'll see. Yeah, I was just I, – I think you guys should have some hope for uh, Wiseman because – 
in Golden State, he didn't really get a fair shot. That's not a system where he can thrive in. He's he's not running around setting picks and then popping for three. <laughs> he, he's a post player who who's got to live inside the paint. So I think I think there's some. I think it would be very interesting to see what Wiseman will do. And it's fun. Yes, as a fan. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I have a lot of emotions about. I was distraught as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, I mean, to tell you the truth, after a couple of hours have passed by, I. It's like I understand it, but I'm still worried just because, you know, one, I think, the the percentages won't show it, but I think the film in itself, to me, will like. I feel like Sadiq has improved with each passing year. I do think he was trying to do a little bit too much. I got to see I've gotten to see him a couple of games live. I think he probably definitely needs another summer of shot creation and his working on his ball handling just because there are a lot of times, you know, I feel like he puts himself in these positions to score and then he doesn't know what to do. Um especially within the paint because I don't think he has much of a floater or a runner or anything like that. So I I understand you know, the Pistons' frustration with that. My biggest thing with Wiseman, though, on the receiving end is that, you know, the Golden State Warriors did not prioritize his development, obviously, because they were trying to win, which I completely understand. But I just worry if the ship has sailed for him to be the kind of player he is. And he's 21, you know, he's incredibly young, but he hasn't played a lot of basketball in four years, like I was telling you, Nick, earlier. And I just, that's a really long time, and... I think you can only focus on a player's player development for so long before they began to at least take steps to become the player that you envision them to be. And also, too, I, I just don't understand the fit. I feel like we just kind of established our franchise center in Jalen Duran, um, especially with the year he's been having. I don't, I don't necessarily see how you could play the two of those guys together all of the time for the foreseeable future. Especially if you end up with Wimby too, I I think there's more of a trend towards the bringing back the two bigs. Like you you see in Cleveland, you have Mobley yeah. and um, Allen, a couple other like Cat and Gobert, even though that hasn't worked out oh quite as well so far. <laughs> yeah. But like I I can see a future where that they coexist, and if they kind of go on and off, I think that wouldn't be as bad. I could too, but at the same time though, if you go out, if you draft Wimby, then what? Well, yeah, but then you're banking, you're putting all your chips into a what, 14% chance? I Yeah, I mean, it's as big of a chance as we're going to get, but yeah, I mean, but still, I, I understand what you're saying too, and I, I really do, I hope it works. I think I was just, I was really big on Sadiq and his development. It was cool to see him get better with each passing year. Josh, you and I have talked about that a lot. Um, and I, I never bet against the guys who get better every year because I think those guys who work hard and just steadily improve slowly but surely turn out to be superstars in their role. Maybe not superstars as players, but just superstars within their role. And I was really excited to see Sadiq do that. And, I, I mean, it's a great situation in Atlanta. I, I hope he has plenty of success. I'm sure he will uh, down there just because I think he's a guy who's going to find a way to do well for himself wherever he is. But... Yeah, I, I am excited to get another young prospect, but I think this is a I think this puts a little pressure on Weaver though. I think this might be sort of the first kind of real pressure that we'll see around a deal that he's made because I mean this is this is a pretty big deal, at least for Pistons fans. So 
you know, I think that he's really banking on the staff that he has in place, which is another thing, Nick. If you say Casey leaves, how does the player development with Wiseman work? Because a new coach is going to want to come in and bring in his guys, which I think just – I think that kind of adds a, a different element to things. I mean, and I, I, there are plenty of coaches I think that could help with that. Like Steven Silas is one. He might be on the way out in Houston. I would love for the Pistons to get a guy like him. But I think that adds another – layer of complexity to it i was just gonna say if you look at pretty much every champion for the last i don't know decade yeah nobody goes through with the same coach they started with if you look back absolutely not warriors mark jackson and steve kerr even celtics were in the finals brad stevens uh ime Odoka. uh you can even look back to like with the bucks and Giannis. they had kid and then they had um budenholzer is it yeah yeah so I'm a big fan of like you get someone to develop for a couple of years and then you go into the win now after yeah. stuff kind of maybe gets tuned out a little bit. I think then you move on. But I think the biggest thing that you mentioned with all those teams, all of those teams started winning before they made a change. That's fair. Yeah. And so it's like mm-hmm. I've never been a fan. On the flip side of that, I've never been a fan of firing a coach before the rebuild is over because now you're pre- technically kind of starting from the ground up because another coach yep. is going to come in with his vision mm-hmm. of how things should go and you're giving him autonomy over the roster. So it'll be interesting to see. There's, I think, I, I do think this is a good deal for Detroit, just in the sense that they get another guy to develop, and, you know, we're still focused on the future. But I was really disappointed to see Sadiq go. But we'll get into the last trade that occurred that I feel like has really altered the landscape of the NBA. Um, Kevin Durant has been traded to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Suns will receive KD and TJ Warren, and the Brooklyn Nets will receive Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, who was dealt earlier, and four future unprotected first-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029, and then they'll also get a 2028 pick swap. So, obviously, there's a lot to talk about. Are the Suns title favorites now? Who won this trade? But we'll just jump right into it. Josh, I'll let you start things off. Yeah, so huge trade. I mean, this this tacked on with the Kyrie trade makes this probably the biggest trade deadline since what? Since since Mello went from Denver. Probably, yeah. I mean, this 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 alone is probably the biggest trade deadline move since that. I, I would say. I would say so. I can't Maybe, think of another you know, one. The Kyrie one might be as big as the Mellow one, but then the KD one's bigger than the Kyrie one. So, but I mean, a huge trade. Obviously, if you're Phoenix, you you kept your three best players and added arguably the second best player in the world right now. Maybe third at at worst, top five player all time probably. Like I, I mean, what else do you need to say? But I I mean, it also like it it kind of puts into perspective for me especially some of these other deals where you look at like Bridges, Cam Johnson, like KD, like it kind of puts into perspective like what makes a big and like meaningful trade because like we're talking about a lot of these guys. We're talking about like, well, this guy showed glimpses or this guy showed flashes, but it's like when you look at the NBA, like every guy is going to show flashes. Like every single guy can show you glimpses because it's the NBA. And like the worst guy in the NBA right now is one of the 500 best basketball players on the face of the earth, like period. And so like, it's easy to like, look at guys like, like a Kevin Knox 
in Portland and be like, oh, man, like that guy's really good. That guy has so much potential. It's like maybe not. Like maybe that's just not going to work out. But like you look at the college tape, you look at it, you know, and it's like, wow, like that. But then you get to a trade like this. It's like, no, no, like Bridges is a talent. Like there's no question to me there. Like that's that's an asset. Like Cam Johnson is a talent. And those are those are pieces that like I actually really like Brooklyn's side of this. Is my point because they didn't just get like fringe guys where it's like, oh, they show glimpses. Like, no, like Bridges has showed glimpses of like he can be an all NBA. Like, that, those are those glimpses. Like, all, all defensive, too. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, like, like all, all, all NBA, all defensive, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, and I'm not saying he's going to be like first team order, but like his ceiling is like a second or third team all NBA guy, in my opinion. 20 points a night. Like, he's already shown it with how versatile his game is. And, like, those the types of dudes that win all NBA are those types of guys that, that, that do a little bit of everything. So I I think this is a huge trade. To answer the thing about the, the title favorites, I think it has the Suns have to be the title favorites. Because, like, you were talking about earlier with the Mavs and Kyrie and Luka and the iso ball and the playoffs, you know, Tim was saying – and how in the playoffs you don't really want to play a bunch of ISO, but it's very helpful to have those guys. I mean, Luka and Kyrie are great, but Booker and KD are probably better. I mean, that's it's crazy to say, but I mean, I, I'd rather have that duo as like a like a two on two or one on one scoring, just because KD's the size he is and can do what he is. I mean, they're it's a bigger duo. So that's your t- those are your title favorites. Would I think you, it has to be. Would you rather have them over Tatum and Brown? Yes, because Katie's the best player in that foursome. That's the only reason why, though. Is he? I think he is. Mm. I think Tatum could get there. Hot take. I th- I don't think it is a hot take because <laughs> did we not see I'm it last kidding. April? Tatum, Tatum Tatum has to Tatum has to he has to win one. Has to do That's it fair. like consistently like Katie has. I need the MVP like from Tatum. Mm-hmm. But I mean, well, like, what the, well, I mean, what do the accolades mean for a guy who's averaging 30 on This is KD though. This isn't team. like we're comparing Tatum to Paul George. Like this is a guy that's arguably like the third like there's an argument that KD is the third best player of all time. No, for sure, but I so mean So it's like if we're going to say Tatum is better than KD, not like, it's it's not even about who's I think it's not necessarily about who's better like career-wise or resumes or anything right. like that. I just mean at the moment right now. And I'm also also mean like Duos, but I mean Tatum. At some point, I, I feel like we don't give Tatum the respect he deserves, and this isn't like the casting these persons on anything you're saying. But Tatum's averaging thirty on the best team in the league right now. Right, but I don't and think they're the best team in the league anymore. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, with this deal, I think remains to be seen. But as of right now, I think they are at least right, right now because this team hasn't played together. Right, but no. Oh, I was gonna, just going to say, and they won't play together for, what, another t- two, three weeks once KD healthy again? Correct. Like, he still has some time, and then we're in what? We're in March, and we still have to get our footing together as, an, as like, a five seed? Like, they still – they have to put it together pretty quickly before the playoffs, I feel like. I don't, I don't know how much that matters when you have a guy like Chris Paul. You can, I, you can put anything together in any amount of time with a guy like that running your offense and coordinating your, your locker room and stuff like that. You, you'll be able to get up to speed. Yeah, I mean, these are I, – I, I, that's just my opinion. But, like, Chris Paul is one of those guys that, like, he changes the way a locker room functions. You know what I mean? He changes the way a locker room watches film, the way a locker room practices. Like, it, I, I think it's a very good point with the injury and, and them the, – having to get the chemistry down, but I think they kind of have the perfect answer for that with a leader like CP3. The only the only fear I have with the Suns now, now that they have Kevin Durant, 
is what's their I'm looking at their depth chart right now. Like they have a really good starting five: CP3, Booker, KD, and probably what TJ Warren. But then after that, it's Josh Akogi, Saban Lee, Jock uh, Landale, Bismack Biombo. I mean, like that's their bench right now, and you you have to have more than four. Like you have to have more than four players to win a championship. I feel like <clears throat> after watching them last year in the playoffs and what they did, they kind of saw. Especially now with CP3 aging, Aiton's kind of, I feel like Aiton's at his ceiling right now. Booker kind of is at that level too where this, these are kind of the best years they're going to have. This is the best they're going to play. You saw They saw what they had with that and their bench with like a Michael Bridges, even though Cam Johnson, they're probably going to get better in the future down the road because they're still pretty young. But you saw what Luka did, just, just Luka and Brunson to them. And you're like, well, this team can't get out of the second round. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to go out. And I I think now, I agree. I think that the Suns are now the team to beat in the West. Um, we have to see. I, I, I'm sure the fit will be fine. Um, Katie usually, Katie played in the Warriors. He knows how to play with stars. Yeah, yeah he can um, go with anybody. And I want to say for Tatum to win a ring is unfair because Katie had, didn't really yeah. win, win a ring by himself. <laughs> yeah. So. I will take well, Tatum, that. Back. Tatum wouldn't be winning a ring by himself, though. Yeah, in, I know. In but Boston. Like, yeah, it's but at the same time, it's more than It holds yeah. a different it way. Is, I mean, it is, Tatum winning one in Boston is that's that's him getting a ring. Much more. Yeah. No, it is. I, I'm not yeah. saying it's not, but I mean, let's not. No, Tatum's I'm, not by himself. Yeah, I'm not saying he has no help. Yeah. But yeah. um, I just think that the Suns. This kind of puts them over the top. No, you're good. Um, I just think that this kind of puts them over the top in the West. Um. Especially at this point of the season, they can kind of have enough games together where they can figure out how to play within each other um, and get going for the playoffs. I mean, I don't trust Denver in the playoffs. I don't trust Memphis yet. Um, they definitely have potential. Like the Warriors are haven't been that good this year um, relative to last year. Um, so there's definitely a lot of question marks in the West, um, and I feel like now this kind of makes them the team to beat. Um, but for Brooklyn, I mean, like I said, I kind of going back to this kind of four first round picks. From any team, I mean, I know it's KD, but that's still very, very valuable. And like I said, if they do this right, um, they could be <laughs> in ten years. <laughs> we'll see. But maybe uh, they put together a squad down the road. But I, I do like, I do like this trade for both sides because after this whole Kyrie debacle and James Harden and you know Ben Simmons is not the player he used to, he was three years ago. Um, at least it seems like maybe maybe that changes. Like you were talking about. Um, but just at, at this point, I feel like the Nets had to blow it up, and Katie lands in a good spot where he can get a chance at a second ring, even though he's not. Again, it's kind of it's a, it's a, a ring's a ring regardless. But going to a situation like that, especially after winning one with the we're first one with the Warriors in that position, is for his legacy. Not he's not my favorite, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a lot left to be said, but um, you know, like yeah, I like I said earlier, this Nets team is kind of might be fun to watch. Like yeah. I bet opposing yeah. teams will not like playing them, uh, with the defensive pieces they have and just the young guys getting some run. So, um, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, that's a ton of draft capital. It's nice to see the Nets actually have some now after so long of them <laughs> being mm-hmm. on the the uh, the <laughs> butt end of a lot of oh no draft pick jokes or whatever so you know it's it'll be fun to see what their front office can do in the future with all that 
capital and stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's not a lot left to be said. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I they they got to get some of these buyout guys, right? Like, is that where Reggie Jackson goes? Who the Suns? Yeah. Oh, that's what I mean. Like oh, we're talking yeah, about, we're talking about the depth. They need depth. I mean, is it, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. gonna be a destination, right? That's how these. Not, not that I would call them necessarily a super team because mm-hmm. Chris Paul's not really like, you know, yeah. at that level anymore. But like, that's pretty close. And like, when you have a team that becomes like a quote instant contender like this, like the the you know the bot the buyout guys flock to those types yeah. of teams. Yeah. I think this is why the depth is why I, I can't necessarily say they're the title favorite For sure. in the entire league. In the in the West, most right. definitely. But you know <laughs> Which is I, why I bring that up though. Like because the buyout guys fix the depth. I was just gonna say, um this is this that doesn't have to do much with this, but just now after all this talent flocking to the West, John ja Morant's we're good in the West <laughs> just <laughs> aged so poorly. <laughs> just one of the worst just takes of all time two weeks later Jaren they're like the fifth option now (laughs) if Jaren learns how to not foul (laughs) I really like the Grizzlies I've always been a Grizzlies fan but yeah I mean we haven't mentioned the Nuggets at all in this conversation I I think the Nuggets I love the Nuggets I think they're just fine they got Thomas Bryant too that's another nice piece off their bench like they have guys who can play some defense I really like the Nuggets but Jamal Murray the last like since I think it's since the new year he's been like averaging like a little over 20 like oh, yeah. good efficiency like he's back to what he was before the ACL. Porter yeah. Jr. starting to put something together a little bit we haven't really seen that from him in three years he's been in the league so yeah it's good yeah. to see from him. I mean and I've always felt it was a matter of when not if the Nuggets would make mm-hmm. it out of the West and, and compete for a title. I don't know if this year will... they were close in the bubble. They were they were and you know I don't know if this will be the year it comes together but it's I think it's definitely going to come sooner rather than later but yeah, like J-Mo said, there is not a lot left to be said. But I do really like this deal. I just want to say for Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn gets a fresh start, a clean slate. Sean Marks, uh, I think, was great at drafting and developing talent. If you guys remember, those Brooklyn Nets teams with D'Lo and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, those are really nice teams. And this is when those guys are really, like, good young prospects. Sean Marks helped build that team. So um, this is obviously – I don't even know if you can call it a rebuilding phase, but, I mean, they definitely have – a lot of draft capital moving forward and some good players to build around. So I think this is a win-win for both sides. Phoenix gets to go all in on a chip right now, and Brooklyn gets a fresh start, and they get to, you know, rebuild and get a clean slate. So does anyone else have anything about the trade deadline? Uh, I would just like to say um, this year's sweetheart of the NBA the beam team Sacramento (laughs) not making any moves really crushed me I feel like they were just like maybe a wing or two maybe a big I know they have Sabonis but like another guy I thought like this is their shot like they haven't made the playoffs in 20 years like they need to do something and they just didn't they probably feel like they're fine Mason Plumlee was right there (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, beast Greatest highlight reel I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, he found a new home again. It wouldn't mm. be a trade deadline without Mason Plumlee getting moved. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it most definitely would. This buyout market will be kind of fun, though. With yeah. Pat Bev moving around, Reggie right. Jackson. Well, that's, that's, right. that's what I was asking with Pat Bev. You know, because we're saying, like, with the depth thing, that's what I was asking. It's like, Pat, what if Pat Bev goes to Phoenix? I mean, that's that's interesting. 
Him and CP3 is not going to work. We say that. You literally called him a cone this offseason. We say that, but like Russ and Papev just got off the same team. They were a little different. They like started working out with each other. The Lakers dynamic. The dynamic with the Lakers was already dysfunctional. That was. Yeah. That would just make the Suns. More unlikable than they already are, which is well, kind of they're kind of leaning into it. At I don't this think point. I yeah. don't even know if Pat Bev would do that. Like he went on like a media tirade against the Suns. Like he called them soft <laughs> on like national television on first. Is he wrong? I would so, love. I, to I mean, see I don't know, but he was like, no one's afraid to play them. <laughs> like, like that, what was it? Russ this whole the Pat Bev tricked you guys or whatever. Oh. Yeah, I would love <laughs> yeah. to see they, Pat they Bev drag together. the Magic to the playoffs and do the <laughs> take the jersey off and whip it <laughs> in the crowd. Again. I like the. Ma- I think the Magic could make the plan if. That's yeah. a, I think that's a hot take. It, I think they're like three or four Bev. out. He yeah. will be even, a Florida yeah. legend forever if that happens. <laughs> he is a Florida man, though. He, just, he's destined to be in Florida. He really does, yeah. The, the, the inevitable Mavs Sun series. Oh, be, that'll be, be, yeah, that'll be Oh, my God. Be I can't wait for that. The script will go crazy <laughs> with that one. Yeah, Silver's <laughs> cooking. And all I'm going to say is, as a Pistons fan, my final words, trust in Trader Troy. That's all I'm going to say. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. Can you say it one more time? Trust in Trader Troy Weaver. Trust in Trader Troy? Yep. Tr- like a trader? Like he's a like he Trader tra- Joe's? Like a trader like, with a... Like, like he trades. Yeah, like not Trader Joe's. Tra- like Trader yeah. Joe's. That's, that's what he's saying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's how he's not, he's not a trade. He's not a trader. He's a trader. Right. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, I would hope thank so. Thank you. Yeah, I got you. Thank That's you. what he's I saying. I mean, I couldn't tell after. I no, mean, I no. was really upset well, after it's been, that it's, deal. It's been a marathon episode. We got a lot of trades to talk about. Yeah, it really has. It's trade been. deadline. Well, that concludes this week's episode of the Courtside Convo. Thank you to everyone for listening and for getting through this episode with us. Go out and be nice to people. And until next time, thank you.